0: Hello and welcome to A History of Christian Theology. My name is Chad Kim. This week I will be talking with Hannah Nation. Uh, Hannah Nation is the managing director of the Center for House Church Theology and is content director for the China Partnership. Hannah Nation has edited a new book uh, that gathers uh, sort of sermons and evangelistic kind of messages uh, from pastors in the Chinese church during COVID. Um, So from the last several years, Uh, the book is called Faith in the Wilderness, Words of Exhortation from the Chinese Church. And this has been published with Kirkdale Press. Um so I was not able to talk with any of these uh, pastors who actually wrote the sermons, uh, but Hannah has edited them, edited them, compiled them, and worked with Kirkdale Ta- uh, Press to get them published. So I was able to speak with her, and it was a a great conversation where, uh, you know, kind of, um, you could think of this conversation as a supplement to what you should read in those sermons. So Hannah gives us some details and background on the history of Christianity in China, uh, helps us place where these messages come from, how they originated, and the kind of thing, and then also, to some extent, what is actually in them. Uh, So I learned a lot from talking with Hannah. I know that you will as well. Um, as you listen to this podcast, I would also encourage you uh, to go and purchase this book with Kirkdale Press. Um, I think this will help those uh, pastors in China as well as um, as well as be an encouragement and an exhortation to you, to you, the listener uh, who may not know as much about Christianity in China, uh, but also what great uh, witness uh, these pastors are to the Christian faith. Um, so. Uh, I think you'll very much like this conversation. I know I did. Um, and uh, it's also a little bit of a departure for us. We don't do as much on contemporary Christianity, uh, but but we dig in in this conversation to the history of Christianity in China and even to some extent the history of persecution um, in, in China, which has its uh, similarities to stuff that we've talked about on this podcast in the history of persecution of Christians and martyrdom of Christians uh, in in the early church. Uh, I'd also just like to uh, say thank you Thank you to Andy McGaw, uh from uh, I think he's in Tasmania now or uh, Australia, and and Andy was uh, has really enjoyed our conversation on prayer and devotion uh, that we recently released. And uh, he also just wanted to sort of reach out and ask more from us about uh, how we understand Mary's relationship to uh, Christian theology and early Christian theology. So um, it was it was nice to, to speak with him some. So if you have questions or comments, please feel free to email us. Uh, or or message us on facebook um at a history of uh at, at facebook.com slash a history of christian theology um, we also have twitter at theology uh, x i a n um so do get in contact with us we have uh, at least one more interview coming up uh with uh dr stanley Hauerwas that i'm really looking forward to and and a few others that i have planned throughout the summer so uh, uh you know keep listening. Uh, Those are on the way. Um, And we thank you for listening. And uh, here's my conversation with Hannah Nation.
1: I currently, I have two titles right now. So I'm the content director for China Partnership. Um, I've been with them for a long time, um, since 2014. And then just last year, we birthed a new org out of China Partnership, essentially called the uh, the Center for House Church Theology. Okay. I'm the managing director of that. So, okay. Yeah. So, but I'm still with China Partnership.
0: <laughs> Very good. <laughs>
1: so my titles are content director for China Partnership, managing director for the Center for House Church Theology.
0: Okay, very good. Uh, I, I know, Hannah just mentioned that uh, she found us by searching on Spotify and then every now and then when we get a new follower or something, I will click on something and I said, oh, this person follows us. And then you were you had a book about, uh, and, and it said something about you being the uh, content director for China partnership. And so I was sort of curious what all that was. And then the book popped up and I was like, oh, well, this would be cool. <laughs> Uh, you know, I we don't really talk much about Christianity in the sort of Far East or, um, you know, have much on on some of that stuff. And actually, you know, from a historical perspective, even some of the stuff that I was reading in your book, uh, you know, was comparing China to ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so there was even some sort of historical connections. Uh, mm-hmm. So the book is called. Faith in the Wilderness: Words of Exhortation from the Chinese Church, um, and so we have with us today Hannah Nation, who edited what uh, is one of the editors um, of the book. And yeah, so so I like I just wanted to sort of branch out a little bit here about Christianity in other places. Uh, thought this was a good um, connection point, and and like I said, I think one of the great like sort of touchstone like. Um, places where, you know, all Christians can have a kind of, um, um, an understanding of each other is this like notion of persecution and suffering. And so there was Mm -hmm. like, you know, but, but in China, it sounds like at least from some of these sermons, uh, that it's very real. And, Mm -hmm. and so like, I've studied it from a historical perspective, but have been fortunate to live in the United States where, you know, there's not the kind of persecution that they are describing in some of these sermons. Um, so I think, you know, like, you know, one of the things that that I often wonder about contemporary Christianity in the United States is what we can learn from uh, from the martyrs, like a martyr church, mm-hmm. a persecuted mm-hmm. church. Like, you know, we've had it so good um, that I think we forget those aspects of our faith. So. So, yeah. So anyway, that's the long introduction for why I'm very excited to have Hannah Nations. So welcome to History of Christian Theology.
1: It's lovely to be here
0: so the um just to give a little background on some of these sermons, so it's a collection of sermons uh printed with uh, Lexham press through their uh, uh, an imprint called kirkdale um, and they uh uh basically collected um now wasn't, i wasn't I think it was in the introduction, but it's a bunch of pastors now do they all get together for a conference and preach all these sermons, or are these collected from their uh, the work that they do with their house churches?
1: That's a great question. So um, these pastors um, have some connections to each other, um, some relationships with each other, um, but they are across China. They're not all in one geographic location. Um, And basically what happened was um, several of these pastors um, had traveled in early 2020 to a um, conference outside of China, it, it wasn't a, a specifically Chinese conference um, that took place in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Um, mm. And but there was a significant Chinese presence there, um, very significant Chinese presence there, and several many of the speakers were Chinese. But um, what happened, um, I myself was at that conference, and um, that conference took place um, essentially at the same time that the Wuhan lockdown took place. Mm. Um, So Wuhan was locked down in the days leading up to the beginning of the conference, and so... There was, um, as you can imagine, <laughs> just as this, there were very significant conversations taking place leading up to the beginning of the conference about what to do and just what even was happening within China and, and trying to wrap heads around it and understand the situation. Um, the leadership of that conference decided to um, ask Chinese delegations from um, cities that were, you know, in the news starting to be locked down or, um, be at high risk of outbreak. They were asking those delegations not to come to the conference. Um, but that was a really emotional thing to do because, um, Chinese Christians don't have a lot of spaces to gather and meet with each mm-hmm. other, especially in such kind of um large settings. And so um it was not an easy thing for um these delegations from various cities to be asked not to come. And especially, mm-hmm. especially given the circumstances, <laughs> you know, it was mm-hmm. no one knew what was gonna happen. So um the Chinese essentially said, OK, if we're asking people not to come, then we're going to live stream this conference into China. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time they had really done anything like that mm-hmm. um, because of the security risks involved. Mm-hmm. And so they live streamed it and there were so many people who watched it. It was, you know, in the tens of thousands of wow. people who Watch the live stream. Um, when the conference concluded, by that point, um, you know, it was at that point, Wuhan was officially locked down. Things were pretty intense in China. And there were now a couple thousand conference attendees who were going back into China. And um, the Chinese leadership essentially said, um, we need to st- not stop what we've started with this Mm. live stream. This is a really important time to preach the gospel and essentially to count the risk Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, involved in doing so. And so um, after uh, everyone returned, they started having these evangelistic online evangelistic meetings. Um, pretty open access. And um, these sermons all came from that. So they were preached through 2020, very much focused on encouraging believers and preaching the gospel to those who who had never heard the gospel, um, which I think is an interesting glimpse into sometimes what's a little different about the Chinese house churches is that Mm -hmm. they always have an ear for both those in the church and those out Mm. of the church. And there's not this strong bifurcation between the two. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, so they preach these sermons and their motto was basically let the light shine in the darkness. And Mm. um, they preached, I mean, I I don't want to go into too many details, but they were very open about who they were and what they were preaching. A lot of the security measures that they usually take, they kind of just set aside for the year and said, "We just need to get the gospel out there." So,
0: yeah, I—I mean, I was trying to think of different stuff that, um, um, you know, that would sort of uh, uh, indicate the the time in the uh in the um p- the pandemic and when these sermons mm-hmm. were preached uh but there's one of these sermons on, it's called sin and hell uh but they are mm-hmm. uh the pastor and I have to go back up and find his name um or her, are they I think they're all male
1: they're they're right? all they're all men mhm yeah yeah
0: um, so, oh, Yang, uh, Yang Zibo, Zibo,
1: Zibo, uh, yeah, Yang Shibo, Shibo. Yeah. Yang
0: Shibo. Uh, I do not speak Chinese.
1: That's totally <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> uh,
0: he, uh, he, 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 draw drew on this, uh, actually this, uh, passage from Martin Luther, which I had heard, um, some American pastors used, uh, but it was, you know, it was really interesting to hear him talk about, um, like what Chinese, cr- Christians were willing to do to be with people during the Mm -hmm, pandemic. mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, he mentions it on this on page 55, but brothers and sisters, the pandemic originating in Wuhan showed us how close we were to death. But the good news of salvation tells us that death is not our final destination. But it mm-hmm. points to the eternal hope of entering into God's arm, and then He has this call. Therefore, we must be brave and make use of all the resources God has given. Uh, it sounds a little bit like what you were just describing: uh, let the yes. light shine in the darkness, um, including money, medicines, and our wisdom and rationality to help people. And then He goes on to detail stories about you know of Christians serving one another, even in the midst of a plague. You know, even yep. in the midst of. Uh, you know, the risks that they were to face in, in suffering either from the government. Cause I think at the end of the sermon, he talks about how the government was giving them surveys about what they were doing and why they were doing it. So there was, there was that double uh sort of fear of the government as well as the, um the sickness. Right. And, and yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I it's think a powerful one testimony. Of,
1: yeah. One of the really interesting things working on this book um, I think they it, I think I I think I said this maybe in the introduction but there there's um as someone from a western country um it was honestly like initially very uh confusing the extent to which they switch back and forth between talking about um, covid and the realities of like physical health suffering and um, the topic of persecution and Mm -hmm. like suffering that comes from an outside force essentially. And, um, and, and like there were times in which it it was almost like hard to track with like, what are we talking about here? Cause I think Uh in the West we, we, we have, we don't think of those two things in the same categories. Like we don't talk about the suffering that cancer might cause in the same language, we would talk about the suffering of, like, martyrdom or persecution. Mm, yeah. And I think that for these pastors, those two things are much, much closer together in their mm-hmm. minds under the general category of suffering. And mm-hmm. and not just this, like, um, abstract suffering, but, like, specifically suffer- suffering with Christ mm-hmm. and how, um, like, understanding our union with Christ mm-hmm. draws together these two Kind of like disparate topics in the Western like theological conversation, <laughs> uh-huh, you know. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, I think that they um, s- suffering is is very much a part of their identity, and I think it's it's also part as you know you were talking about just their desire to serve their neighbors. I think suffering is often kind of one of the the commonalities they find with their neighbors mm-hmm. and with the people around them and it actually can be a really great catalyst for service to others you know mm. if, if a church understands suffering it is very um, well equipped to enter into the suffering of those around them so
0: yeah well and one of uh, I was just finishing what some of the the last part of this this morning and I think maybe for me, the most moving uh, sermon was from a, a Noah Wang or Wong mm-hmm, Wang, mm-hmm. Um, and he. Well, not not all, You know, there are any number of things actually that stuck out to me about this sermon. One, he's very forthright with the suffering that he's been through in yeah. lo- in a child uh, that the mm-hmm. that the doctors told him not to carry through, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just uh, talking about, this is one of the sermons that mentions the Roman persecution and similarities mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. China, mm-hmm. which was striking. Mm-hmm. But his his hope, I think this is in the section on hope, um, is, uh, you know, you were just talking about suffering with Christ. And so on 115, he says, we do not endure the deepest suffering in the darkness night. Jesus Christ, who hung on wood on the hill of Golgotha, did so. Uh, faith more valuable than gold is faith at the darkest hour in the darkest night. It assures you that God has never been silent, that he is always with you, and that he is always involved in your suffering. Um, and then, and then comp- he also combines that with the passage from Isaiah. Uh, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may, not, may forget, yet I will not forget mm-hmm. you. No matter how dark mm-hmm. things feel, God is with you, mm-hmm. um, which, mm-hmm. again, is is a beautiful passage for any number of reasons. But um, that, that sort of idea of being with Christ in the deepest mm-hmm. suffering, mm-hmm. Uh, but also this notion of, you know, sort of an image of God as a woman, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is sort of a striking passage to be put there as well. Another association that we, uh, you know, that I have not seen put together like that.
1: Yeah, I think he's probably... You know, drawing on that verse, especially because he he does share um, very intimate details of of his own family suffering. Um, mm-hmm. For those who haven't read the book, he he, he and his wife lost a child, um, and he reflects on that. And so, I think that I'm. You know, I I haven't asked him personally, yeah. <laughs> but I I would um, just from reading it, I would think that that verse. Has a particular meaning for him, um, remembering that, you know, he has not forgotten his child and the Lord yeah. does not forget us. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said, I went in the email, I was just trying to pull out uh, some of my favorite parts so that, you know, yeah. people who listen to this could get a kind of an idea of what they were, um, you know, what they'd be exploring when they, if they purchased this book. Um, so, which is to say, basically, there there's, it's divided into three sections. Um, and a lot, they sort of, um, a lot of them have this theme of suffering and persecution and persecution but God's presence and God, uh, not, not only God's presence in our contemporary sufferings, uh, but God's, you know, one time presence in the person Mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ, uh, in the, uh, on the cross. So there's, you know, there, there's, um, uh, but, but yeah, so it, it does, um, they're all different pastors in three different sections. Um, and, uh, now, you know, uh, these were pre so these were preached though to their churches and then live streamed as well or nope these were no. um
1: these were essentially publicly preached okay. so um they um <sighs> Yeah, I, I I don't want to go into too many details. Okay. <laughs> because, yeah. Well, uh,
0: uh, that was going to yeah. be another question that I wanted to ask was like, what is? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. No. I, I doubt yeah. the Chinese government cares, knows my podcast, but maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's searchable. I don't really know, but uh, yeah, the, no, the book no. would draw attention. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. yeah generally speaking, um, you know, it, this it's, it's it's fine to talk about. Um, so yeah, so they they basically um, have used the platform um, to to host online meetings, public, open access online meetings, mm-hmm. and um, the you know the link for that has generally been shared by word of mouth or just mm-hmm. you know on Chinese social media, um, but these meetings um, were. Incredibly well attended. Um, nice. I've asked several contacts <laughs> how many people they think, um, you know, by their best estimate, have attended. Um, it's been hard to get an answer. They, they don't count numbers. And, oh. you know, that's a huge difference. I feel like any ministry in the U.S., it's like, how uh-huh. many numbers do we have? <laughs> yeah. They don't count numbers. Um, so, but they have, I know that um, the average, you know, online meeting that they had, um, they were at times getting close to like a thousand login devices and then with that would be it would generally be a whole household sitting around during Mm. lockdown watching Mm. um so um it's not a church service it's not um you know like it it doesn't Mm. um these meetings haven't you know like followed a liturgy or Mm -hmm. um you know had any sense of formal worship together or corporate Mm -hmm. togetherness. It's really been almost kind of like the old school, like tent revivals, but in the kind of like digital space, you know, where, um, it, they've, they've had a pastor preach a sermon, um, and then, um, there's, there's a call to believe, Mm -hmm. um, and but that's also I think where again it's a different it's a different cultural context. So there just okay. are some things that are going to be different. And one of the really key differences is that there are very few families um, where the entire family would be in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the general experience of any Chinese believer is that you know if not most, maybe half of their family members are not believers. And they also, um, live, um, in with more extended family than we do tend to in the U S. So a household will usually have multiple generations living Mm -hmm. together in it. So when they preach these sermons, um, they know that they, or they knew that generally speaking, they probably, it would probably be, um, a Christian who had the code, <laughs> you know, yeah, or the, like right. the link who would log on, um, who may themselves need to be encouraged in the mm-hmm. Lord through the, mm-hmm. the pandemic. Um, uh, but they also were aware that chance, you know, not not like a hundred percent of the time. Like those people would be sitting around their living room with multiple family members who, you know, aren't believers and possibly have never even heard the Christian gospel before. Mm-hmm. Um, so they wanted to really take the they wanted to seize the moment <laughs> in a sense. You have a lot of people in lockdown together. Um, it's a good time to to share the good news with people sitting around, not knowing what to do with themselves. So, um, but yeah, so there, it's not a church setting. It's really kind of more just like a, a public square, Mm -hmm. um, public meeting setting. So
0: interesting. Yeah. Well, and so that, I mean, that's another kind of, uh, question that I had and, and you can, do this as quickly or as much as you know but the so it these um these pastors are generally identified with the the three self um house church movement is that right
1: so no so there are i would say two um i mean there are (laughs) christianity in china is huge so um there i think i've heard that
0: by numbers there are more chinese christians than there are in the united states is that right
1: um, it's hard to say. I think we're, we're not far off from that. Um, okay. it, so the conservative estimate is that there are 70 to 80 million Christians in China okay. today. Okay. Um, you, it's very hard to get official numbers. Um, that's the conservative estimate. I think my guess is it's probably higher, but a Mm -hmm. lot of practitioners within China like to go with the conservative number. (laughs) Um, I have seen and worked with people who put the estimate significantly above 100 million. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: So it's a large, you know, it's a large church. As with that, there are, you know, there are lots of different stripes of Christians Uh (laughs) across China. But I would say one of the most fundamental kind of divides or distinctions would be actually between what's called the three self um patriotic movement that's the official state church okay. um and then there would be the house churches okay. um now of course it's a spectrum it's it's not like a hard and fast divide you can find all sorts of people in all of all kind of positions across this <laughs> spectrum, mm-hmm. but there is generally um, one of the most fundamental questions facing all pastors in in China is whether they will um, register with the cha- the the state church called the Three Self, or whether they will remain unregistered as a house church. Mm-hmm. Um, Regarding the history of that, that goes all the way back to the communist revolution. And Mm. um, essentially, um, at the time of the the revolution, um, as the state was being established through the early 50s, um, they started the three self-patriotic movement, the state church, um, and they required everyone to join it. Mm. And it was very divisive among Christians in China. And about half went into the state church and about half refused Mm. to go into the state church. And um, the half that did not go in was very heavily persecuted through Mm. um, much of the early 20th century or latter half of the 20th century, the Mm -hmm. early years of the people's Republic of China. Mm -hmm. Um, And then essentially eventually as you got further into the cultural revolution the three self church was also closed down mm. um and for a while there was you know no open officially sanctioned church um but in the 1980s when china started to open back up again the three self was permitted to mm. start again there was a several decades really i'd say from especially in the like late 90s through the kind of early 2000s there was a lot a a lot more openness than had been experienced for a Mm. long time and i think that was a, a time where it for a lot of people it felt like the distinction between the three self and the house church might be getting grayer <laughs> mm. and um there may maybe was less there was there was some there was some interest especially in urban centers to kind of maybe come up with kind of a third alternative or i don't know but the point is in 2018 um the government essentially doubled down again on religious regulations mm. and there's been an increase in of um harassment and persecution of house churches since 2018. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, nothing that is happening in China is anything like what happened in the 20th century, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. where we are not um, at the levels of persecution that the, you know, forefathers of the house church experienced. Um, But there is very significant pressure put on house churches today. And, and it, and it really brings up a lot of questions regarding the church state relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of these guys, the ultimate question is is who's the head of the church? Mm. Um, and you know you can get into all sorts of very interesting conversations about <laughs> church state theology. sure. <laughs> but that's not the focus of this particular yeah. book. We actually have another book coming out at the end of this year. Um, okay. That focuses very specifically on that question. Um, but yeah, there's, so I think, um, trying to think about how to sum up. Today in China, um, well, this is maybe helpful. I would guess, not guess, there are more house churches than there are three self churches in mm. China today. So the majority of Christians within China are worshiping, um within a house church setting. Um the three self church is also significant. It's it's very large, but the majority of of believers in China would be in the house church.
0: And the pastors that have the uh sermons in this collection. And I guess I mean sermons is sort of an interesting word to, based on what you said. That's not exactly a sermon in a liturgy, so they're they're sort of like uh you know evangelistic messages to some extent like evangelistic
1: evangelistic sermon would be kind of okay maybe a way you could put it so yeah yeah
0: okay uh but i was gonna say are they they're from
1: they're all in the house they're all in in house churches so so and that's why nope and that's why um most of them are writing under a pseudonym so Uh yeah
0: well we're yeah huh well, I have I have lots of questions, but one <laughs> one of them one of them kind of relates to more of the what may be a future book. Um but uh, w- which is that you know the relationship of of church and state, which is, is one that I find fascinating. But I yeah. guess as a theologian, like when I you know, I mean I, I've been, you know, studying theology for many years. So when I look at this and I read through this, it reads to me like sort of mm-hmm like American kind of reformed ish uh, evangelical Christianity. Um, So it's like, I, you know, I don't hear anyone talking about uh, infant baptism or something, but it's, they have a very strong sense of God's sovereignty of election to some extent, um, and then like even the description of Christ on the cross fits kind of a penal substitutionary uh, way of reading the atonement um so you know so when I'm reading through this like I'm just I can't I can't help myself I'm always trying to figure out okay what is their sort of theological perspective coming from? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah is that a
0: fair characterization of it's a very
1: yeah. fair characterization yeah I think um these pastors so you know if the first a uh, way of kind of starting to understand Chinese Christianity would be the house church versus three self um, mm-hmm. differential. Then, um, you know, within the house churches, as I said, there are there are <laughs> you can throw a stone and you know <laughs> hit, hit a, a you know whatever <laughs> whatever yeah. you would expect to hit, um, but. Yeah, there's, a, I would say, one of the most kind of um, significant growing uh, expressions of uh, Christian faith among the house churches would be exactly what you described. Um, they, so the house churches, when they were birthed in the 1950s, A lot of what shaped the three self versus house church divide actually came out of the theological debates of the West at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the 20th century. And so, a kind of very loose categorization would be that the house churches were very much. Uh, coming from a fundamentalist perspective okay, and the three self would have been coming from a more traditional liberal theology okay. um, perspective. Now, of course, we're talking about China, so you can't just map it over, <laughs> um, but that would be a general categorization. Um, what's happened and, recently... And- Yeah, go
0: ahead. Just real quick. So, from a historical perspective, fundamentalist just means the five fundamentals of the faith, and these are more about the debates over how to read scripture, and there's sort of the liberalizing tendency to, you know, question the virgin birth or the inerrancy of scripture or something like that. So, if I think I'm understanding you correctly, so it's it's more, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not fundamentalist in the pejorative sense. It's fundamentalist in the uh, sort of more uh, historical use of the term and which tracks pretty closely on to um yeah debate well i so i went to princeton seminary um and uh, um and so you know know, this is the 1920s machen and some of their kind of yeah okay
1: yep yep yeah 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 so i mean uh, yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) i just (laughs) (laughs) want to make sure (laughs) that right
1: no you're you're exactly right i'm laughing because um I mean, I find this topic fascinating, so I can just uh-huh. like talk about it forever. So I'm sitting here like, how much does he really want to go into all oh. this? <laughs> well,
0: you know, I mean, <laughs> I
1: yeah. So it's, I find it to be really fascinating. I think there are so many things about studying Chinese church history that are so much more apl- a- applicable to uh-huh. conversations we're having today than we've really even fully realized because. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, so the, the theological debate and divide that you just were highlighting really shaped, um, the early years of the Chinese churches and it is interesting how it shaped their responses to the Mm -hmm. Chinese communist government. Um, and I think, you know, just so and, and then you know you bring in the history of Western imperialism and the Western mm. mission movements, and it gets even more interesting. Sure. <laughs> but one of the most interesting things is that um, the fathers of the House Church um, were were very keen on disaffiliating themselves from Western missionaries. Mm. And so, um, and, and the um, fathers of the three self church were also keen. Everyone wanted to distance themselves Mm. from the Western missionaries. Um, But I think there was, you know, as often happens when you um, react against something that has been Mm. difficult or or problematic, then it kind of opens these, like it can push you <laughs> to um, your common enemy, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and so um, a lot of the um, a lot of the three self fathers of, of that of the three self church, um, I think we're just very very hopeful uh-huh. that um, communism and the promise of the communist state um, would solve what. Both um, the House Church, you know, forefathers and the Three Self forefathers saw as a common problem of um, China's sovereignty, um, the issues of just what China had been through for the hundred years leading up to the 1950s. Mm. Um, but they had, I think, very different answers for it, and. Mm. Um, what this is where it gets really interesting to me is that I think that um, eschatology has mm. always been this huge issue um, for the Chinese church and um, a part of that is because China as a culture um, really since um, it's been you know dealing with um the collapse (laughs) of its society in a sense, these questions of eschatology are so important Mm -hmm. and these questions of where are we heading and who's going to take us there are Mm -hmm. so important. And so um, I think those with um, a lot of the um, more conservative, theologically conservative, um, like, underpinnings um, basically responded with a very strong stance of it is not the state that is going Mm. to take us there. Mm -hmm. And um, those with a more traditional liberal um, uh, theological stance were much more interested in exploring ways that um, cooperation with the state would be able to um, help with this vision. But I think one of the interesting things is just that, you know, communism is an eschatological ideology, you know, mm-hmm. it has its own eschatology. Sure. So it creates all this conflict. Um, it's not a neat system to kind of, you can't just have your little spheres. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so yeah. So, anyways, we could we could keep going down this path for a long time.
0: Sure. Time. Well, I mean, the I think same that you-
1: a question in there, and I'm not sure I answered it.
0: No. <laughs> so. No. You. Well, we, yeah. We went. We went deep. Uh, well, I just. No. It. It helps. It helps. It helps in a number of ways. One, just to sort of know where these pastors are coming from, um, you know, with history with Christianity. Oh, yeah, that was
1: the question. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. yeah. But
0: but also, like to some extent, you're answering another one of my questions, which is you know, um, which is the relationship between uh, sort of Christianity and the local culture, Um, Mm -hmm. and so. Uh, one of one question that I always kind of have, uh, when when I'm doing, I mean, any kind of theology, really. Um, you know, is so like, and I, I teach an intro to theology class at SLU, and I have the students look at creeds from a creed from Thailand, a creed from uh, mm. Kenya, a, and, mm. and 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 the the Apostles' Creed, and I have them talk about, you know, to what extent do these creeds reflect their local culture, and to what mm. extent do they? um sort of show a universal vision for what Christianity is so you know Christ mm. is always prominent the trinity is prominent but then uh, my favorite is the Maasai Creed from uh, from Kenya, and they talk about mm. Jesus being on safari, um, and the hyenas <laughs> laughed when he was down in the grave, and I mean it's a, it's a beautiful thing, yeah. Um, and but uh, and anyway, so I always save la- save that one for last because that's my favorite. But <laughs> um, so but it's this question of like how is it that Christianity can be this sort of. Um, thing that's more than a local culture. Um, It's a truth that can transcend culture, but it's also a truth that takes root in a culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you know you were sort of talking about like eschatology in the communist mindset eschatology in the chinese mindset you know and i noticed that there was a reflection on revelation and they talk about the sea of glass um, mm-hmm. and it was it which the the pastor at once mentioned as a buddhist image um, mm-hmm. and then as a as an image from revelation and it sort of colored his reading of revelation i think it was 15 if i remember correctly um, in a way you know i i don't I don't particularly love reading revelation um, in terms of like, I'm not a big person on eschatology. Uh, Yeah. Revelation 15, one through four, Paul Pang. But, but it was fascinating because he was using this reflection to talk about the end, as you just say, as you rightly say, and the grace that can bring us to the end um, and how that can kind of look differently from the, the sea of nothingness. I think it was in, in uh, Buddhism, if I, uh,
1: Mm Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. so it's
0: just interesting overlapping of like how ingrained it was in the culture. So I don't know. Do you want to speak to that? Like what? How Christianity has sort of the 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 kind of missiological term is indigenization. Sure. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> again, there's just so much you can say here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I just love reading their reflections or their sermons, whatever you want to call them, um, is, is how much um, they draw from so many different references, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like
0: um,
1: they reference, as, as you mentioned, like they'll reference um, Buddhist imagery, they'll reference. (laughs) galgon <laughs> like yeah. you know like they reference so many different things they reference the reformers like it's such I a, noticed the augustine um, reference I wrote yeah, my dissertation oh, on yeah, augustine yeah. So. <laughs> so um but I th- I think that um so there's kind of you know there's the obvious things like oh yeah like they'll bring in chinese cultural references um but I actually think um the real work of translation or contextualization it's always more behind the scenes you know Mm. it's less about like um you know what author a pastor references in his sermon Mm. because those are Mm. always such just tidbits that people (laughs) throw in you know sure um but i think that um for these pastors in China, I actually think um, eschatology really is where the deep contextualization is taking place. Interesting, um, And I think it's because um, there is, I don't think any of the pastors that I've talked to from China, um, like if you talk to them, the first thing that they'll say is that the gospel is making inroads in China because um Chinese feel like the fabric of their society has like
0: Hmm. it's
1: like loose like they they don't have a underpinning for um like the big questions you know and they don't have this like um the it's fraying that's what I'm looking the word I'm looking for like the the moral fabric is frayed And so they're looking for answers to these really big questions. And, um, and I think that, um, you know, the meta narrative is always where like that, that's where like the gospel clashes against everything else in the world, you know, Mm -hmm. because, um, the, the big, answer to, you know, where we've come from and where we're going is, you know, what so often puts us in opposition with others, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that, um, a lot of what they're doing is essentially saying to Chinese society, like there is an answer, (laughs) you know, like it's not, um, like Chinese society right now is very just materialistic. It's very, Mm -hmm. um, very uh i think you could even say like vapid and i don't mean that pejoratively i just mean there's there is um there's just they've lost their roots you know they they rejected a confucian perspective and framework Mm. for the world they've essentially rejected a, a communist ideology and and framework for understanding the world um there is vestiges of both and that remain in Chinese society and culture for sure. Um, They're playing a lot with just kind of straight up nationalism Mm -hmm. (laughs) right now, but, you know, nationalism doesn't take you very far as a, you know, overarching framework or (laughs) ideology. (laughs) Sure. Um, So, um, you know, to the extent that the Chinese individual feels this just, um, kind of lack of a foundation for their society, um, that's where uh, the gospel enters in in a really powerful way, you know? Mm -hmm. And it enters in, and I think what's interesting is that um, the city is just, it figures so large in their, uh, kind of the contemporary theologizing that's going on Mm -hmm. in China right now, If, if I, you know, I I don't know if you've ever been to China, but it's impossible to go to China, let alone Asia, um, and not just be like thoroughly, like just blown away by the size of the cities there, Mm -hmm. you know, like, um, I think that to the extent that, you know, kind of pastoral imagery or like the countryside Mm -hmm. (laughs) gets like, um, centered in a lot of like Western theology, like probably one of the most significant ways that I think Chinese theology will like provide a a contextualized like change is that it will be like the imagery of the city will become more important because mm-hmm. they all live in these massive, massive cities. And you can't live in a city of like 20 million people plus yeah. and not have that just shape your understanding of like what we're talking about when we talk about the city of God. You know, yeah. like we're not talking about um, this like old European idea of the city anymore. Like we're talking about something very different. Um, and so I think there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff. I, I feel like it it's only starting to get kind of legs, but I think there's just a lot of interesting stuff where um, just even the ways in which um, I think exact like the, um, just the um some of the positions that you notice that, you know, they're kind of broadly reformed. They're um, coming, coming from this broadly evangelical um, broadly reformed kind of perspective. Um, it's going to be fascinating because, you know, if, if you take um, like if you take Kuiper mm. and you read Kuiper in, a place that has never experienced Christendom, but like you have that interest in like the city and like, um, just like it's going to be interesting. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like not really been done because so much of our, like so much of the reformed theology and from reformed perspective comes from the vestiges of Christendom where, where mm-hmm. we're very ingrained and situated in our societies um and so i don't know we'll see where it goes
0: but yeah well that that yeah that one that that leads into one of the questions that i had and also it reminded me of a funny quote uh but um so stanley hauer is one of my favorite theologians um and uh, i think actually he's gonna come i'm gonna get to interview him maybe next week um but um <laughs> Which I'm excited about.
1: I know uh, it's a little like, oh wow, <laughs> <laughs> going from nobody to woo. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> well, but he, well, he, anyway, but he makes a joke. I think it's in respect to Kuiper. He says like, uh, like the Kuiperians or the the reformed set out to uh, sort of conquer the world, and they conquered uh, Sioux City, Iowa, or something like <laughs> like these, <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> um or wherever dort is i don't remember where dort is in iowa um but um yeah anyway so there's that but but so which also raises the question of that uh like what um and this also makes me think of andrew walls who talks about the translation of christianity yes. into new yeah. contexts yeah. like the what what i found so compelling about his sort of theorizing about this was that the gospel, when it goes into a new culture, uh, it it can also bring critiques back on the host culture. Yes. Um, so that is like, uh, it seems like the power of a book like this for contemporary Christians in the United States, say, uh, which I assume are many of my listeners, Um, it might be, you know, in what ways do the Chinese Christians, what, what ways can they offer us a kind of critique um, about, you know, how we see ourselves? I think you were starting down that road at the end of your last question, yeah. but like, you know, yeah, what what can we learn from them about, um, about who Christ is and about what Christ looks like when he transforms uh, a culture?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Walls has been really important for a lot of my work and a lot of my thinking. Um And I think exactly that. I think that as we see Christianity entering into China, um, as we see our brothers and sisters there, just um, theologizing and, and preaching, um, there's, there's just so much (laughs) that we (laughs) can learn from them. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that, um, well, I, I guess there are two things that I would highlight. Um, one's kind of a, a big level thing and one, the other one is, maybe something that even has just impacted me more personally. So I think to start out, um, there's just the very obvious um, application of, you know, this is a church that has grown significantly um, without any political power. You know, Mm. I mean, we're not even like zero (laughs) – political power or influence um and at times negative mm. <laughs> influence and power as they've experienced persecution um so i think there's just like the very obvious application of you know it political power is not necessary mm. for the furthering of the gospel and the spread of the church and like um i think it's i think one of the things that i i've not puzzled out for myself yet because I, I think it's an interesting like it's just interesting is that you know we live in the United States where we're born here or, or we come here and decide to become you know citizens um part of that is you know this is a participatory democracy like i have a civil responsibility to participate in my government um there can be uh, there are obviously lots of debates about what that should look like and you know so um there is a very fundamental difference between me and my chinese brothers and sisters they are disenfranchised they do not participate in their government so there is that very fundamental difference right Mm -hmm. nonetheless I think that the fact that their churches um you know they (laughs) like there is one church um one of the pastors in the book I won't say who um you know his church in 2020 planted like seven churches um and that's like in the midst like of active, they're they're an actively persecuted church and it was in like the height of the pandemic and they Uh planted seven churches, (laughs) you know? So, and so so part of me is just like, okay, like clearly loss of power and like disenfranchisement does not stop the furtherance Mm -hmm. of the gospel, you know? Mm -hmm. And we can learn a lot and I think we should learn a lot But from them on that, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think it takes a willingness to listen. I think um, there's just, it's hard to humble ourselves and to admit we might have something to learn (laughs) from um, those on the other side of the world. Um, But I think we're so, like, you know, so many Americans, especially um, in the evangelical world, which I come from, there's just a lot of fear. Um, there's a lot of fear that, um, the work of the church is being threatened. And, um, you know, I, I think that we can, you know, we might be able to acknowledge that there are challenges ahead for us, but the fearfulness and the, um, I think the kind of sword rattling (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, can be checked when we look at um, just the Lord's, like, just the fruitfulness of churches that live in marginalized situations, you know. Um, And I think that that kind of then maps onto um, just some of the personal things that i've been thinking about it it's just that i think that um so much of it comes down to a question of you know who do you love you know mm. and i think um one of uh, a fellow that i work with this is what he talks about all the time he says that um the government you know it, it doesn't just want um people to comply it wants it wants the love of its people you know it Mm -hmm. wants people's hearts it wants to be the answer to those big that that those big Mm meta-narrative questions right those big framework questions yeah and i think that um that is something again that we can we can learn from them you know that um Counting the cost and, you know, walking the way of the cross is not about these big, um, like, like let's sit down and write this, like, big, thick book on church state <laughs> theology and spheres. And, I mean, that's all great. But, you know, like, at the end of the day, it's about who do you love, you know, mm. and, like, who has your affections. And. Mm. Um, those then get mapped out on these bigger questions of church and state. But um if you aren't clear in your heart on, you know, where your allegiance is and where your loves lie, those those issues of church and state just kind of become dry and they become matters of of battles, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I think that's just where like suffering. I feel like the Chinese church has such a good pulse on um, the suffering that we experience in this life Um, going back to, you know, I guess where we started, but um, it's, it it is about our union with Christ, you know, and um, we live in a fallen world and there's, pain and suffering all around us, you know. But um because of Christ and because we live in Christ and we've died in Christ and we live in Christ, like we um there's to in some way it's a mystery to me, but we are participating in his suffering, you know. Mm-hmm. And Paul says we fill up the afflictions of Christ <laughs> and that's a haunting thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the American church has been running from it for so long, yeah. you know, well, I think so much about our identity and, um, and, and it just, it just, it's in everything, but we are, we are allergic to suffering. We see suffering as um, something to avoid at all costs. And I don't think that, um, you know the new heavens and the new earth are when suffering is put to rest, you know, or or put to death. But we're not there yet. <laughs> so yeah. our call it's a call to to walk with Christ and he was our suffering Lord, you know? So
0: well said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh I, I mean that's as good as place as any to end. I did want to ask you And I may move where I put this in the podcast. We'll see Uh, because you you ended so well. It seems weird to uh, (laughs) one of uh, a guy who taught me how to preach. He said, uh, always know your exit. Um, And and he he said that I wasn't very good at that. I always (laughs) wanted to say one more thing. Um, (laughs) And he was like, uh, yeah, Mr. Kim, you need to know your exit. but I did want to ask you about how you got in uh, into like you know how this kind Involved of fits with indeed. all
1: of this. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, I mean, you know, it's you've you you seem to have a great grasp of Christianity in China and the history and you know obviously, but it just yeah. How how did you get connected with it all?
1: Yeah, um, that's a great answer or question, and I I feel like I still struggle to come up with a succinct okay. answer to it. Right? Um. I, I, you know, I mean, I think really the short answer is that I feel like the Lord has just kept putting this in my lap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, so I just keep like being involved with China. <laughs> so oh, I um, first went to China as a college student in 2005 okay. and taught English. Um, I... Basically, I would say from that point through um, the time that I started working with China Partnership, I really um, thought that I was doing multiple short-term stints Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, serving (laughs) in China. And so I I taught English, then I um, served on a team doing campus ministry Um, in a city in southwest China. Um, I did that for a few years. and I came back to the U.S. and I worked with Chinese international students here. So my background really was in very um, relational ministry with Mm. Chinese. Um, But I eventually felt like that particular calling was coming to an end. Around that time, um, China Partnership reached out to me and I've always loved to write and, um, I was in seminary at that point and, um, they really had this idea of wanting to share, um, the voices that we were working with in China with the global world, mm-hmm. um, the global church. And it took us a long time to figure out how to do that. <laughs> so, um, I think it's, let's see where, what year is it? It's 2022. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it has been eight years of wow. trying to figure out how to do this. Um, and we've kind of finally got a lot of pieces in place that allow us to do it. Um, so yeah, that's like, I, I, it's hard for me to answer because I, I didn't wake up one day and say like, Oh, this is what I'm going to do. And I didn't like go to school thinking like, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, um, but I feel like there's there's been a need and it's interested me, and I've had the the background and the relationships. and so um, it feels like the Lord has been leading, and I've just been following. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's great. well, um I don't. Don't mean to take up too much of your time, so I appreciate you uh, sharing with us for the last hour um, and despite some technical difficulties at the start. um, (laughs) But it sounds like I need to have you on to ask you about the next book here uh, at some point. You're going
1: to love the next book. The next book, um, I'll do a quick plug for it. It's um, So there is a pastor. His name is Wang Yi, and he... He's currently in jail. He is um, serving a nine-year jail sentence for subversion of the state. Um, He is a very notable figure in the lay of the land of Chinese Christianity, especially house church Christianity. Um, He can be controversial on some things, but um, if you talk to anyone who follows Chinese Christianity, they'll know who he is. And, um, we are publishing a collection of his works of his writing. Um, and that will come out in December um, about the anniversary of his arrest. And mm. it, it's uh, I, I've been calling it an eschatological church state theology. So uh-huh. um, it's it's going to be very different from <laughs> the current book. <laughs> um, it's a little more academic and a little more like weighty so yeah this one i feel like is so lay level anyone can pick it up and read it so
0: yeah well i i definitely uh definitely want to look at that and talk to you about that one when it comes out
1: awesome yeah uh
0: well very good um so thank you so much um hannah and